Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Jack. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, this is the second week of our series, uh, kind of recasting the vision for who we are as Remedy Church and where we see God moving us. Uh, last week, Fudd uh, preached from First Thessalonians, and we talked about the idea of fostering biblical community. Um, and uh, we saw that Fudd, from the passage in First Thessalonians 2, when we looked at the idea of biblical community, Fudd saw six key traits in the text, which are really important. I think they bear us kind of repeating those again so that we hear them, because I think they will lead us really well into what we're going to be talking about this morning. So the six key traits of biblical community we talked about last week, boldly going the distance no matter what the hardship, sharing the gospel with one another, dominant mindset is to give and not receive, our ultimate aim is the glory of God, selfless love for others, and willingness to be vulnerable and share our souls. Those are the key and both the key and the hallmark of biblical community. And so when we understand those from that text, it helps us to see not only what community looks like, but the kind of things we want to put in place to create a kind of community. It gives us a way to evaluate, are we doing well? Are, is, the, is our ultimate aim the glory of God? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we boldly going the distance no matter the hardship? And that covers every area and every aspect of the life of our church. Everything from community groups, but then also Sunday morning when we gather together on Wednesday nights, when we're gathered together as a church family in multiple different ways, these keys are, are crucial for helping us to understand what community looks like and how we foster that and keep it going and help it to go even deeper. Um, so this week, I am going to be preaching on the idea of care. And last week, Fudd called me a legalist because uh, he said, I'm going to follow the rules. So I guess I will be a legalist and follow the rules. Although, technically, if you just saw the uh, vision statement, we exist to glorify God by fostering biblical community, joining Jesus on mission, and practicing intentional care. So I'm already going to break the rules because I'm preaching on care and not joining Jesus on mission. And some of y'all are a little messed up on that right now. There's, there's grace for you, but you're, 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 you're like, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. We should be joining Jesus on mission this morning, not, not care, care's out of order. Um, but we were going through and we we're looking at the sermon series, um, kind of deciding, praying through who, who would preach what. We both kind of felt like care would be one for me, uh, that would be good for me to share with us. And um, I had already committed next week to preach at a local church uh, for a pastor who's going to be out of town. So we decided to flip-flop that. And so it'll be a, a test of your, of your mercy and grace this morning and your ability to uh, you not be a legalist as well. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the idea of care. Um, and what I really want to do this morning is I want to ask and attempt, attempt to answer three questions. Why is care part of our vision? What do we mean by practicing intentional care? And then thirdly, what will this look like at Remedy? So why is care part of our vision? Why do we mean practicing intentional, what do we mean by practicing intentional care? And what will this look like at Remedy? Um, so what I'd like to do now is let's pray, and then we're going to jump into God's word, the very place where we should start for all of this. So let us pray. Father, we are grateful that you have, by your mercy, brought us here this morning. And in your goodness, you have given us each other and given us a community of like-minded believers who love you and love the gospel. 
And so we pray, Father, that even as the echoes from last Sunday continue to reverberate um, in our hearts and minds, that we would um, live lives that are, that are fostering biblical community, that it wouldn't be words on a statement or part of a sermon series, but that it really would be the overflow of who we are, that it would be an apt descriptor of what you're doing in our midst. And Father, as we seek to dive into this understanding of what it means to care for one another in a way that is intentional and true to your word, Father, I pray that you would lead us in that this morning, that we would understand the scriptures, and that from there we would move out in a real and true um, obedience and love for you and for each other. So Father, use our time this morning for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to be this morning in John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible and you want to open to John chapter 13, uh, our text will be John 13, focusing in on verses 34 and 35. If you don't have a Bible, there, there may be one under the uh, chair right in front of you. Feel free to grab that. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Keep that. Um, read it and be blessed. So the first question that we have is why is care part of our vision? When we're going through and we're crafting this statement, we say this is what remedy is all about. This is where God is leading us. This is what God is doing both in our church and in our hearts. May not be exactly where we are, but it's where we're going. It's where we see God leading us. Why is care an important part for us to have in the statement? And we, we really, as we focus in on John 13, 34 and 35, I believe we begin to see some of the, the understanding. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In these verses, we see the word love used four different times. Now that in and of itself would mean that it's important. Jesus in these just few statements uses this word over and over and over again. And so as I've said before, if the Bible says something once, it's important. But if something is repeated, especially in a close context, there's an understanding that we really need to grasp what's going on here because the repetition is driving home something deep and really important for us. And we can't just understand this love out of context, we need to understand the love Jesus is speaking of in John 13, 34 through 35. We need to understand it in the context of John 13 because I believe it then helps us open our eyes and see the depth really of what Jesus is getting at here. So what I'd like to do now is back up to the beginning of John chapter 13 and read verses one through five for us because when we start to see this, I think it begins shedding a little light on what is going on here. John 13, verses one through five say this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, when we read this passage, what's going on here, Jesus knew a lot of things. What did he know? He knew that his hour had come. He knew that in just a little bit of time, he was going to suffer great and horrible agony. Not for anything that he had done, but for the sins of the entire world. He would be crucified and beaten and mocked. But worse than that, the wrath of God would be poured out on him for every sin. Jesus knew that this has happened. He knew how much he loved his disciples. Look at what it says, that he had loved him, loved them, and he was going to love them to the end. Jesus, the entire time he was with his disciples, was constantly showing, demonstrating, and living out a life of love towards them. And it wasn't enough to stop right here. He knew that what he was about to do was for them. Both in John 13 and his crucifixion and his resurrection was for them so that they might be reconciled to the Father. He knew that Judas Iscariot had already agreed to betray him. He knew that one of the 12 who had walked with him for years, who had seen him do miracles, who had experienced the very presence of Jesus, who was one of the inner 12, he knew that one of them was about to turn him over to be beaten, killed, and murdered. He knew that there was another one of his disciples who was part of the close inner three, who three times before the night was over would deny that he even knew him, calling down curses from God upon himself. He knew all of these things, but he also knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. And he had come from God, and he was going back to God. Jesus knew all of these things. And if we knew all of the things that Jesus knew, if we were to, I want to tread very lightly here, but if we were to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes, or let me put it this way, if I were to put myself in Jesus' shoes, I probably would have acted a little bit like the disciples and not like Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, in a day when they didn't have paved roads and everybody wore sandals and you could see everybody's feet, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you're walking on dirt roads where there are cows and there are horses and there are other animals who uh, aren't very clean, you can imagine what it's like to have your feet nasty. And so when they would come into the house, there would be a servant who would be there to clean up everybody's feet. And this was such a lowly task that tradition holds that even in these households, very rarely would they even allow a Jewish person to be that servant because it was so far beneath anybody else. So that even if you had a Jewish person who was your servant, you wouldn't let them be the one to wash the feet. You'd go find a Gentile because this was the lowest of the low jobs. And I would probably be like the disciples sitting up there thinking, man, Where's the servant? How come nobody's washed our feet? What's going on? And what we don't get is any inclination that any of the 12 thought, I wonder if I should do that. There's nobody here to do it. I wonder if I should do that. The basin was there. 
The towel was there. It was waiting, ready for someone to pick it up and do the act of washing the feet. But what we get is it seems as though the 12 are maybe looking at the basin, maybe not, and saying, where is the person who is going to wash everyone's feet? And if I'm thinking I'm Jesus and I know all of this stuff, I know my worth, I know my power, I know the height of who he is. He is God of God, God taken on flesh here on the earth. He is not less than God, he is God. And every single one of those 12 should be washing his feet as quickly and as often as they could. And yet they're sitting here wondering who's gonna do this and what does Jesus do? He takes his coat off. And he grabs the basin and you can almost hear the gasp when Jesus does this. And he comes now and he comes to the every single one of their feet and he washes them. The king of the universe. The glory of the father. The incarnate son Worthy of the worship of every person, every aspect of creation gets on his knees and takes dirty, stanky feet and he washes them. Jesus exemplifies loving. He had loved them and he loved them to the end. Jesus does what none of them were willing to do. Now, if we're going to be honest, for a lot of us, that just makes us squeamish even thinking about touching somebody else's feet. But Jesus doesn't go down here just kind of like, oh, this is so gross. I don't know that I can do this, Peter. I don't know what you stepped in. But man, I wish you'd wiped your feet before you come in. Jesus willingly goes down and washes the feet of the disciples. He loved them the entire time. And rather than saying what he had done in the past was sufficient, rather look at the massive outpouring of love that was about to take place on the cross, saying that would be sufficient. Jesus loves them right then, right there. They had a need and he met it. As Judas goes to depart, he tells the disciples, that they are to love one another just as he had loved them. A love he had always demonstrated, a love he had just demonstrated, and a love that he was about to demonstrate. And Jesus then says something in John 35 that as I was studying this and preparing this, it really astounds me. And I, he says in John 13, 35, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When I read that, there's part of me that thinks, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Won't people really know that I'm Jesus' disciple by the love that I have for him? Won't people really know about the way that I'm always speaking about him or that I'm speak, seeking to be in his presence or that I know a lot of scripture? Isn't that how people will know that I'm a disciple of Jesus? 
And most of us would say, if we think, who is really a disciple? Who is somebody you know who's really a disciple? A lot of times what our minds go to is, man, this person is super involved at church, or this person really shares the gospel, or this person knows the Bible so much they can quote it. And those things are good, and those things are amazing, but what Jesus says is that by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says the evidence of us being a disciple is that we have love for one another. There's a key that we must not miss here. Jesus says, as I have loved you, love one another. This love is not a mere kindness or affection. Because we could get tripped up a little bit and we say, well, I know people in the world who love each other, but they don't care anything about Jesus. I know people who are of other religions and they love each other, but they don't know anything about Jesus or care anything about Jesus. Why, what is it that's different? And the difference is that this love is not a mere kindness or affection. It is a deep concern and affection for others that it's an overflow of the love of Christ poured into us. So now we begin to unpack this on an even deeper level. Jesus says, everyone you'll know will know that you're my disciples by the love you have one another. What kind of love is that? It's the kind of love that Jesus has shown to us. So now we look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has loved us though we were enemies and exhibited the right kind of care towards us. And we say, that is what Christ has shown me. Now I will turn and show that to others. And that kind of love is a very different kind of love. It's a love rooted in the love of God seen in the gospel. And when we exhibit this kind of love, we reflect Christ. The reason why we practice care is that we want to be genuine disciples who love Christ and as his love has been poured into us, we exhibit that love for others. Our ultimate goal in life is not so that people would say, oh, Remini Church, they're disciples of Jesus. But we just want people to know, whether we tell them or not, that we're followers of Jesus. And Jesus says the way that people know is the way that we will exhibit our love for one another. So this moves me to my second question. What do we mean when we say practicing intentional care then? Why not just say, be loving people? Why don't we just say, practicing Christ-like love? Why don't we just say that? Well, part of it is, in our culture, the word love is kind of nebulous. I mean, we say, in a, we love dogs, we love the Panthers, we love the color blue, we love our kids, we love Jesus. And we kind of know from context that there's a difference there. But the word just kind of gets thrown around in some ways. What we want to do is we want to express it directly and purposefully. In other words, what does this love look like when it's put into practice? put into practice. So let's unpack each word for a second. Let's take the word practice. We want to practice intentional care. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 34 that he is giving them a new command. Here it is again. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now it's interesting. Jesus says this is a new commandment. And we can think back and say, well, you know, 
when somebody asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so we may look back and even some of the commentators who were commenting on this verse were saying, is it really a new commandment? And they were trying to kind of work around, like, what does it mean? How do we explain it? What is Jesus saying here? But I think some of it goes back to some of what we've already said. Think about what Jesus said, the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does Jesus say here? He says that you are to love one another as I have loved you. You see the difference there? Love your neighbor as yourself. I think about the way that I would wanna be treated. I think about the way that I would wanna care for people. I think about the way I would want that. And then as I think about that, that's gonna then focus the way that I love others. Jesus takes as he almost does. It's so beautiful. Just like in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you have hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. Jesus takes this and gives us the fullest understanding of it. This new command that he gives is not love others as you love yourself. It is love others as I have loved you. It takes it on a deeper level. And so he gives this command and a command is something that's given to us to be followed. And if it's from Jesus, we know it is good and it is for our good. And to be obedient is to glorify him and reveal our love for him. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commands. So the word practice helps us to understand that this is a mindset and not merely actions. It is an ongoing, continual act of love towards others. Not merely a checklist. We're gonna do this, this, and this. And if we do these three things, we have completed care. But it is our minds are constantly, continually going about the idea of caring for others as Christ has cared for us. It is a practice. It is an ongoing, continual thing. But it is also intentional. One of the aspects of commands that I think we sometimes overlook is that so often these commands are given because in our sinfulness, we do the opposite. So God gives a command, do not lie. Why does God have to tell us not to lie? Because sinfully, we lie. God has to tell us to rest. Why does God have to tell us to rest? Because sinfully, we don't go naturally towards rest. We go towards overworking. Why does God tell us to not be lazy? Because if we don't go towards rest, we might go towards laziness and not overworking, but not working at all. And so God has constantly given us these commands. Why does God tell us not to gossip? Because we're prone to gossip in our sinfulness. And so all of the commands, what a command does is it recognizes where we sinfully are away from God and God is pulling us back in to the pathway of righteousness, to the pathway of goodness. And so now, when Jesus gives a command to love one another, what he reveals to us is that our hearts aren't naturally that way. Martin Luther said we are born naturally curved in on ourselves. Our center of our universe is ourselves. And so naturally, we're going to kind of think more about ourselves than for others. And what Jesus does here is he takes us back and he says, now you, your love for one another should be a guiding principle. And if it's a command, we know that naturally we're going to go away from it. So we are going to have to be intentional about it. It won't just naturally happen. Now, as we are sanctified, as we are made more like Christ, we will more and more exhibit this on a regular basis, but we have to be intentional for if we are not intentional, we won't gravitate towards this. We'll gravitate away from this. So we are going to practice, 
We're going to develop a mindset of constantly being people who love others and care for them. We're going to be intentional about it. We're going to make efforts to go this and make sure it's done well, regularly, repeatedly, because this is what Jesus said we should do. And then the last word is care. When we keep this idea of loving in context, we really kind of see that it has two aspects. So I, I, want, to, I want, to look, want to look back at Jesus washing the disciples' feet. There was a physical need that everybody in that room had. They needed to have their feet cleansed. It was a physical need that Jesus met there. And we don't want to overlook the physical here because that, I mean, the whole, the whole narrative is about the, the physical need that Jesus met. He humbled himself to take care of something that nobody else was taking care of. He met a physical need. But as he gets to Peter's feet, Peter is not real happy. He's like, well, Jesus, you're not, you're not washing my feet, Jesus. You're not doing that. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. So Peter, the good pendulum swinger that he is, goes from you're not washing me to give me an entire bath, Jesus. Head to toe, I wanna be part of you. And Jesus says, well, if, if, you've already, if you've already had a bath, you only need your feet cleansed. And the lesson that Jesus is teaching Peter here that all the disciples are listening in on, that the Holy Spirit inspired John to make sure that he included it to us in John chapter 13, is that Jesus was meeting a physical need, but he was teaching a spiritual reality that they also had a spiritual need that needed to be taken care of. If Christ does not cleanse us, we have no part in him. If we have not trusted the truth of the gospel that we are sinful and in need of a savior and we stop trusting in ourselves and trusting Christ and Christ alone to cleanse us and bring us to the Father, if we do not believe that, we have no share in Jesus. But even as we come to the Father, there will be times in our lives where there are things that Jesus is continually pointing out, your feet are dirty, your feet are dirty. You're following me, you're my child, but you have walked over into something that has gotten your feet dirty and you need to be cleansed. You need to repent. You need to have your life changed. So there is a physical aspect of care and there is a spiritual aspect of care. And I want us to really grab a hold of that this morning because what we will tend to do, I believe, is see this word care and we will tend to reduce it to really only being taking care of physical needs. So those are extremely important. That is a massive aspect of what we're talking about. But under the idea of care, we cannot forget that care includes care for our souls. Care for pursuing of righteousness and holiness and sanctification. So when we say care, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Jesus loved the disciples. He loved them enough that he would meet their physical needs and humble himself and wash their feet. And Jesus loved the disciples and he cared enough about them that he would correct them when they're wrong and teach them righteousness and teach them how to pray and show them the truth so that they might turn and follow him. Both of those aspects are important for us as we think about care as it relates to remedy. Our care that we will intentionally practice will be both physical and spiritual. So what will this look like at remedy? How do we take Jesus' command in John 13, 34 and 35 that we love one another? What is this gonna look like? Well, part of this will simply come by a focus on it. We, as a body, will think more about it 
and live it out. But there are some specific things. And, and just like FUD did last week, I want to start this week um, by telling you a little bit about how he and I have contemplated how this applies to us as elders. Um, on, our, on our little elder retreat that we did, that one-day retreat, you've heard FUD mention that a couple of times. We did, we did one day. We just kind of broke away from everything, just spent some time praying, thinking, um, Where's God leading us? Uh, One of the things that we recognize is that care is probably not our strong suit. Um, And I don't say that to be flippant or to throw excuses, but almost as a kind of chance to say, we recognize we as elders may not have cared the way that we we could have. Um, And so we, we want to do better at that. We want to personally, as elders, do a better job of caring. Now, some of you may say, well, I feel cared for, and praise the Lord. And some of you say, well, I may not feel as cared for. Well, we apologize, and we, we say we are, we are moving forward. And we have put some steps in place. Uh, one of the things that we are going to do, um, and so I just want to give you a heads up on this, just so you know, all right? One of the things we want to do as elders is, is we, have a, we have a list of everybody who's a member of Remedy, and we're going to be intentional about contacting members of Remedy on a regular basis. Not in a kind of spiritual police kind of way. But we just want to know what's going on in your life. And so you may get a phone call or a text from me or FUD that just says, hey, how's things going? How are you right now? And when you, when you see that and you hear that, I, what we want you to know is that we are trying to be diligent as your pastor's to love you and care for you. So what we ask in return is that if we, if we call and say, hey, how's it going? How are things in your life right now? We ask that you be honest with us. If there's something difficult that's going on, if there's something that you really, you need care for, we, we wanna know that. And so be looking that you may get a call from us. There's, there's no ulterior motive other than we love you and we wanna do a better job caring for you. And so if you get a phone call or something like that, what we want you to know as soon as you get that, we want to pop into your mind, my pastors are trying to care for me right now. That's what we want to work towards. So that's one of the things that we're going to be doing. The other thing is when, he had, when we have weekly elder meetings, we're going to spend time talking to one another more about what we know about what's going on in people's life. Not in a gossipy kind of way, But the thing is, I may know something's going on in your life and Fudd doesn't know anything about it. So how can he be praying and caring for you if he doesn't know what's going on in your life and vice versa? And so we're gonna be more intentional about communicating with one another any and every need that we know of, both spiritual and physical, so that we can help try to stay on top of making sure care is done as elders. We're working to try to figure out how we can care for our staff and volunteers better. Um, and in addition, we promise you to continue thinking, how are we caring for your souls on Sunday morning through preaching and making sure that our, that our preaching, our teaching, um, and praying is all geared towards the gospel to help you love and trust Jesus more. Um, in, as far as community groups go, especially as community group leaders are concerned, I, I, in many ways, and, and I will speak for myself, I can't speak for FUD, but I think maybe I can, um, I think we're going to take some cues from some of our community group leaders on care. Um, I just want to say publicly that we have some, some great community group leaders. 
I look back and I hear some of the things that are going on in our community groups and I hear about people who have things that happen and they say, yeah, our community group did this or our community group leader did this or my community group leader called me. And I just want to say to those of you that are community group leaders, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for loving and caring for people and really just holding the ropes for that. We appreciate it. And you may not always get told, you may not always hear that what you do is important and that you're doing a good job, but I want you to know we, we as elders appreciate what you're doing. And what we want to do is not that we are better at it, but we want to come alongside you and encourage you and equip you and help you to continue doing what God's already called you to do and what you are doing well. Um, so that's how that kind of looks there. Here's another aspect that is totally brand new um, that I'll spend some time talking on this morning and you'll hear more in kind of the weeks and months to come. Um, for the past several months, Fudd and I have been talking about this. Um, we've kind of realized that uh, we really need a, uh, a deacon ministry here at Remedy. Uh, if you look in the Bible, the Bible kind of has two offices in the church. Uh, in the New Testament church, you have deacons and you have elders. So elders are the pastor teachers, the overseers of the church, the deacons. Deacon literally means table waiter. It means servant. Um, they're the ones who help do the actual care of the body. So if you look in Acts chapter six, the apostles are preaching and teaching and praying. They're kind of overseeing everything. There was a certain need that was having going on in the church to making sure people weren't overlooked in care. And so they appointed uh, men at that time to oversee all of that to help out with the care. Well, over the past uh, several months, we've been uh, thinking and praying through what does that look like here at Remedy? Um, and what we want you to know is that you will, you will be a part of this in the next month or two as we start setting out this idea of deacon. Uh, what we're going to do is we as elders have already talked to someone. Um, we kind of get some final things in place about being in the role of what we would call a lead deacon. So they'd kind of be, if you're from an old school Southern Baptist Church, maybe a chairman of deacons, but they're kind of the, the head of the, of the deacon body. Um, and then we will be asking you as a church, as we talk about what it means to be a deacon, what the Bible says a deacon should be, what deacons should look like, we're going to ask you as a church, um, just like you did in Acts 6, to recommend people who you think are qualified and who fit that and who would do a very good job at it. We as elders will then kind of vet those people and then put before you the ones that we believe fit all of that. And then you as a church uh, will be responsible for um, putting, you know, voting on them and, and approving them. Uh, there's more to come about that. But the whole point of that, the reason why is, one, it's biblical. So deacons are all over the New Testament. Um, and so it's very biblical. But secondly, it helps us to expand the way that we as a church care for one another. It helps us to make sure that if there are more people who are intentionally taking the time to make sure everybody's cared for physically and spiritually, there's less likelihood that somebody will kind of fall through the cracks because it's the last thing we want to see happening. So in the, in, the, in the future, you will see that coming, so we want you to be ready for that. Already begin praying for that. Begin praying that not only God would use it to strengthen our body and to strengthen our ability to care for everyone who is a part of our church, but already begin praying, ask you, for those who God will put into that role, um, that you would prepare their hearts to be ready for it. 
Um, okay, so what is this going to look like on Sunday mornings? Well, the way we see care on Sunday mornings is kind of two-sided. We as elders will care about you and seek to teach and feed your soul. So there's that, the spiritual aspect of there. But the other side is you, you the body of Christ as you gather. Too often the mindset, and, I don't, and I won't, I'm not saying necessarily it's the mindset here, but too often the mindset, especially in the American church, is that we come to church to receive. I go to be fed. I go to be cared for. I go to do this. And, and to be sure, we do receive. There is a receiving of the word. There is a receiving of care. But just as Fudd said last week, the main mindset of biblical community is to give, not receive. And so the question is, are we ready now as a body to come when we gather on Sunday mornings, ready to receive, but are we all in the mindset of, I am going to receive, but I'm also going to give. I'm ready to give. And some of you are giving already, and I want to say thank you. And I'm not talking about necessarily financially, though don't stop doing that because yeah, the building and we need an offering and that kind of thing. So I'm not saying just be ready with your check. Um, That's good and important. But I'm talking about give of yourselves. Give of your interest. Give of your energy. Give of your relationships. Um, There's some tangible ways to do this. You've heard us talk about before. I was praying with our children's ministry volunteers this morning. Uh, who are downstairs watching kids right now. And I told them, I said, I'm, I'm preaching on care this morning. I said, and you are tangibly offering a, a picture of what it means to care. You, you're, you're down here caring for children and also caring for parents. You're caring for the ones who are down here, these children, you're loving them, you're providing a safe environment for them, you're speaking the words and hope of the gospel to them, even at a very young age. You are caring for them physically and spiritually, but then also caring for parents, caring so that they can go and they can have their eyes fixed completely, that they might receive the word to be ready to give to others. I do know that this summer, there are 15 empty spots on our children's ministry uh, schedule. Maybe this morning as you're thinking about care, maybe one of the ways that you can give is by saying, you know what, I'll step in for just the summer. Even if it's just the summer, I'll step in for just the summer and help serve and I'll help care that way. I know that the setup and breakdown team, they're starting to be holes in the volunteer service there. We're not a big church. We don't have a lot of programs. So I can't come up with like 14 different programs, but the good thing about that, there's a couple of ways you can serve real easily. That's one of the ways you can care, volunteering. Another ways that you can care is on Sunday mornings when we gather together, be intentional about your relationships. Be intentional about where you sit looking for people you know who may be having a hard week, maybe things you know about their life, maybe they're part of your community group, maybe they're not, maybe you've never met them. Are you intentionally strategic about where you sit on Sunday mornings, about the conversations you have before and after church? That is part of the way that we exhibit care. You really can't care for somebody until you know what their physical or spiritual need is. So putting yourself in that proximity, how does this happen and being very intentional about it. These are all opportunities to care. There are more. These are just some examples. 
What does it look like when we gather on Wednesday nights? When we gather in prayer, it is another tangible way for us to express care for one another, to hear needs and take them before the Father. Sometimes we struggle, it's like, how do I care for people? And we almost kind of relegate prayer as if, well, anybody can pray, but how do I do more? And we need to flip that on its head because when we pray, we take the needs and the concerns and the hurts and the pain or joy of others to the very one who is the source of all comfort and strength and power, the sovereign of the universe. The most you can do for anybody is to pray. And when we see things like our Wednesday night gathering as an opportunity to care for one another, it makes it more important, more intentional. And I want y'all to know, it's not like things are better, we're just trying to get a whole lot more people there. So we just have more people, then it'll be better because there's more people there. The idea and the hope is to all of us gather together and care for one another in tangible ways. In closing, I want to say this. Jesus said that the world will know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. My goal this morning and our goal in all of this, this this recasting, this re kind of what does this look like, how does this live out, all this, our goal in all of this is not, here's a bunch more responsibilities, here's a lot more things to do. We want your life to be harder. We want more of it in your place. We're just trying to give you more. You're not doing enough. You need to be better. You need to do. That's not what we're trying to do. We want to be a church that's true to what God has called us to be. And so what we say is this practicing intentional care, it's important. You need to be cared for. And others need you to care for them. It's not an either or. So if you are caring for others, praise the Lord. Allow yourself to be cared for. And if you are being cared for, praise the Lord. Care for others. Part of what we want to do is we want to ask the question, how do you view our faith family? How do you view Remedy? Is Remedy just a group of people that you gather with on Sunday mornings to to worship? Is it just a place where you go to church? Or is it a family? Are you part of our family? And family cares for one another. And we don't get it right all the time. There's some of you right now who may have hurts, you may have pains, you may have things in the past that are, well, I didn't get cared for or I cared for somebody and they didn't say anything or whatever that might be. Can I tell you, first to admit right here, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. We don't hold this up as care. We're doing this well, all the rest of you need to do it. We hold this up as saying, This is what Jesus has called us to. It is the ideal. Wherever the real is, we want to move towards the ideal. 
And so whatever would hinder us from really getting there, we want to repent and we want to turn from that. And we want to say, God, help us to live that ideal. We want the entire city of Rock Hill to say, man, those people at Remedy Church, they are disciples of Jesus. Do you see the way they love each other? Do you see the way they care for each other? Like, I don't even know anybody who goes there, but man, their reputation is, that's a group of people who really care for one another. What's keeping you from carrying this way? Is it hurt in the past? Is it a life that is so full and so focused on everything that all you've got time for is an hour on Sunday morning? Hour and a half, because we preach long. Could it be that God's saying, you know what? How does your faith family become even more important to you? And so some of you right now may be feeling, this is what I think God wants me to do. God wants me to volunteer children's ministry. God wants me to, to I want to be the one who is leading and praying for everybody. I'm going to start a, a topic on the city of, of send me your prayer request so I can be praying. Maybe you, want to, maybe you want to do that. I don't know what it is. God may be moving in you. But how do you be part of caring for the body? Jesus said, as I have loved you. All of this is rooted and centered in the gospel. And so now we're going to turn and we're going to have a chance to respond. And in, in a sermon like this, there's a, there's a lot of focus on what do we need to do? How do we need to live? And I think it's good for us right now to just take a few moments and, and, and contemplate that phrase, as I have loved you. That's the core, that's the root, that's the foundation of it all. That's where it springs from. So as we contemplate what Christ has done for us, as we contemplate who he is, as we contemplate the death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, it'll make us do one of two things. One, stand in awe of Christ, or it may, even as you contemplate that right now, you may realize you've never trusted that. You've never fully believed that. You may have heard about Jesus. You may not have heard about Jesus. You're more worried about, well, if I do the right things, God will love me. If I do the right care, then I'll be, no, it's the gospel. Jesus says, unless I cleanse you, you have no part in me. Have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted the gospel? If no, I plead with you this morning to turn to Christ. Trust the truth of the gospel. You have no other hope. Jesus said, unless I cleanse you, you have no part in me. Or maybe this morning, God is, by his goodness, showing you some dirt on your feet. And he's not saying, you're so wretched, you're so dirty, I don't want to touch your feet, get away from me. Christ in his goodness still leans down and cleanses us when we would walk away from him into the filth, he will still cleanse us. So is there something that Jesus says, this in your feet right now needs to be cleansed? 
Is it a time to repent and turn from that and follow Christ? I'm going to pray, and Jordan's going to lead us in an opportunity to respond in our singing. Father, we are grateful that you would so love us that you, though you detest sin, we are not despicable to you, but you come to us and you cleanse us and you clean us. So God, we pray that we would meditate often on this love, this overwhelming, glorious love for us, and that it would cause our hearts to overflow and love just as you have loved us. And God, we know that care will call for sacrifice. Would you show us how to do this in a way that is Christ-honoring, joy-giving, body-building, that in all things we might exhibit the love you've called us to love. Thank you, Father. We love you and ask it in Christ's name.